Well, welcome back, everybody. My guest today is writing a career story that is truly one of a kind. Her career began with eight years in Big Four Consulting, which explains why she shows up different than most. Then she spent the next couple of decades working across three global big brand CPG companies, which explains why she is so intentional and so laser focused on the customer. And then just a few months ago, she made the shift from Chief Information and Digital Officer to a COO, Chief Operating Officer, with Latin America's largest bank, where she is leading a major operating model transformation, which explains why she is so fearless and so courageous. So I want to extend a warm welcome to the amazing, the very special Marina Bellini, COO of Banco Itao. Marina, please take us back several months where you are enjoying a stellar career in the CPG space in a different country. You are leading a massive global organization of many thousands of people. And something tells me you didn't just wake up one day and say, you know, I think I'm gonna become a banking executive. So let's start there. Maybe tell us how this came to be and what attracted you to the bank in this role at this time. You're right. I did not wake up in the day and said, I'm going to work in the banking industry, but my CEO did. We woke up one day with that idea uh, to invite me to join his team and, and be part of, you know, Itaú's uh, build up for the next hundred years. We're just about to start our hundred year anniversary uh, celebration. And, um, you know, uh, one third of every dollar in Latin America flows through Itaú. Uh, and it's a great place in the world, as many of you probably have visited. And if you haven't, please do so. Uh, but with lots of opportunities. And uh, with the size, the scale of Itaú, having the opportunity to improve how we serve every single citizen uh, in the region, uh, how we make their experiences better, how we help them get better in life and achieve the dreams that they have. There's one place in Latin America where, you know, you can feel you can contribute to that. I have no doubt as Itaú. So um, Milton, uh, our CEO, had, had this idea. Uh, I was crazy enough to invite me. Maybe I was crazy enough to accept the offer. Uh, and of course, not to, to miss something as important as the challenge that I have is giving the opportunity to my kids, you know, to American teenagers um, born and raised in New York. This is home for us. Um, but uh, I mean, have the opportunity for, for a few years to live in this country where I was born and raised, Brazil. Uh, and be closer, you know, to family and friends here. Uh, it's unique. So maybe I would have been crazy if I had said no to this opportunity. I love it. We'll definitely unpack more of that, Marina. And you're uh, uh, you're actually moving right now. So thank you so much for making this work in the midst of a of a of a physical move. And now your career journey. You started you started uh, growing up in Brazil. You're back in Brazil. But what countries have you been in since then uh, in your journey? Oh, so I mean, my childhood years, I lived both in Brazil and in Norway. So I already had a, a taste of uh, of being elsewhere, visiting family also in Italy. Uh, but uh, since my work life started, I had the pleasure of living and working in Brazil, living and working in Belgium, living and working in Mexico, living and working in the UK, and of course, living and working in the US, where my two kids again were, were born. So my second home. Well, we're going to get a really a, a great appreciation for what that uh, diversity of experiences and cultures has done for you as an executive. And, you know, one of the ways we'll do that is through unpacking the uh, what people love here are the the uh, the mystery questioners. And 
Normally, Marina, we like to have two or three mystery questioners, people who can unpack your superpowers. We have six very enthusiastic, very passionate people from your past uh, who wanted to join your podcast. So I want to get started with the first one and uh, let's take a listen. And then when we come back, tell us who this is and have some fun with your question. Marina, it's been such a pleasure seeing you in action with T200 over the past year or so. We have all benefited from your brilliance and are certainly very grateful for the time you've dedicated to building our global community. In your career journey, you recently moved from heading up digital in a global CPG company to running banking ops and tech in the largest bank in Latin America. What would you tell your banking counterparts in other geographies about the importance of having multi-industry experience on the executive team? Oh, thank you, Angela. For the ones that don't know, this is the amazing Angela Yoshin. And it has been a surprise that she joined uh, with the first question here. I mean, Angela and I are together uh, as board members of T200, a not-for-profit organization committed to develop women in technology. Uh, we co-chair one of the committees together. And oh, thank you, Angela. Uh, maybe the question should be for you with the amazing experience that you have. But let, let's take my, my lenses to, to answer for, for a bit. Um, I would say, you know, to, to any leadership team, it's not about being banking and having people with other industries experience. It's about being in any leadership team and making sure you're creating the environment where people can and should express different opinions. If they come from different industries or not, that's secondary. I think the most important thing is really looking for different perspectives. We may think at first that having people agree with us makes life easier. I can tell you from experience, Having already been in rooms when everybody would agree with everybody, it makes life much tougher. We learn much slower. We make more mistakes. We engage less. So, you know, creating the environment where the differences come to add to each other is what I think is very important. And yes, now I am the non-financial service executive in a financial service executive team. Um, but what I love about what we have there is this willingness to talk about different perspectives. And when we start agreeing too much with each other, we say, who is not speaking up? Because we need something different here to make sure that we are having a powerful conversation, that we are building on each other's idea and not just agreeing with each other. And um, I think that's, that's what I would say. Look around your executive team or your team and ask yourself if your guys, girls agree too much too fast, then something needs to be done different. If it's about changing the people there, Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just changing the environment on how you listen and react to different opinions. Yeah, I know you're doing that there at the bank with the big, uh, the big agenda you've tackled. And I just want to thank Angela, one of the most special, one of my favorite people in the world. And not just in our profession, just really, really amazing uh, executive in person. And uh, thanks to, for introducing us, too, because we, uh, you're the third board member from the T200 that we featured. Uh, the T200 board, very impressive organization. Thank you. And thank you, Angela. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Angela. The the other individual, Wafa Mamili uh, uh, from Zoetis, uh, great COO, CDO, now president, PL owner for Zoetis uh, in the animal care space. So uh, great group there. We have a second mystery questioner that has a related question. I think it'll be very timely. So let's listen into uh, to this one. Leading diverse teams among different countries, cultures, and companies for sure is a big challenge. 
but it's even tougher when on top of it, you want to drive a transformation agenda, which implies an important change in the way of working of the organizations. What are your main learnings and secrets to deal with this scenario? Oh, Carlos Sanchez, one of the best CIOs I've met in my life um, that uh, succeed me in, in Grupo Modelo, leading the, the tech digital and GBS organization there. One of the most amazing leaders I've had the pleasure of, of working with. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you for participating, Carlos. Um, yeah. How did we make, you know, transformation work together, you and I, Carlos, uh, and me and other people? Uh, and I think, you know, this is always not about me driving a transformation, but this is about finding out what is the transformation that the organization needs, wants to do it, and making sure that the wheel is created inside every single person of that organization so then they can drive transformation with me. I think this idea that, no, you come to drive change, no, you come then to unlock the change that's there to be delivered by the people, for the people, for the customers, for the society. Finding the people in the organization that are brave enough to partner with you, you know, even when there is uncertainty, then you create some, like, called positive jealousy. Because, you know, you see, the thing that we were afraid of doing, someone did, those three, four, five people together, so maybe I should do that too. Find the partners that want to experiment. And again, Carlos was one of that when, when I first arrived um, in Modelo. And, you know, show early results, even if they are small. Even sometimes it's important that they are small because big results don't happen overnight. And it's very important that you start seeing results of the change. So then, then the non-believers, you know, start engaging more. And yeah, any transformation, things are going to go wrong. Things are not going to go unexpected. Make sure you celebrate them, that you learn with them. Because if the first, you know, roadblock, you take 10 steps back, why would you take another step forward? Um, but uh, yeah, I think you, you asked the question so I could tell a lot of what I learned with you, Carlos. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carlos. Great question. And yeah, what a great point, Marina, because, you know, there, there are those people in any organization, the early adopters, right? They're going to jump on board. They're going to run with you. And uh, then you get those folks who are kind of not sure, right? Maybe we call them fence sitters, but... Do you find that those early wins, even those small wins, start to get them to be to uh, to believe and to to join the join the mission? Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's when magic magic happens. Uh, and uh, you know, Carlos Carlos would always laugh, uh, you know, because he said you have a crystal ball, and I would always tell him I don't have a crystal ball because you know you can kind of can predict that not everything is going to go right, can predict that not everybody's going to embark from day one. Not because I have a crystal ball. <laughs> it's because that's just uh, life, right? You knew that it was going to happen. You're a crystal ball again. Uh, I think uh, if people feel good, you know, believing that they have a crystal ball, please do so. You do in that sense that you can predict those things because, you know, by, by leading one change after the other, uh, the commonalities are bigger than the differences. Even if you're in a different industry, you're in a different um, setup. So use your crystal ball. I don't have one. <laughs> People think I do, but but use yours. You probably have one in that sense that, uh, you know, you can anticipate uh, a lot of the, the challenges and the partnerships and find the ones that are going to take you forward. Yeah, we did a lot of research around that. And we call that stage of leadership, the innovative anticipator, you know, that ability to draw on your experience, the ability to see the enterprise end to end and lift our heads up, look up, look out and say, how do we disrupt? How do we transform? How do we drive a better customer experience, employee experience, right? And 
you know, on that note, this this kind of work that you do, it's not for the faint of heart. This is hard work. And, you know, as you're embarking on this journey, what's the drivers for your new operating model, Marina, that you're you're driving at the bank? So we are driving, not me, <laughs> as I said. It's about, you know, me, uh, our CEO, my colleagues, my team, the other teams. It's about really, really becoming customer-centric. That's the big, big, big shift. This is about, you know, how do we serve the needs of the customer? It's not about, you know, giving someone a credit card. It's helping people manage their payments. It's not about giving someone a mortgage. It's helping them realize their dream of their home. It's not about, you know, making investments on people's monies, but it's about making sure their kids can go to college. So how can we translate customer needs into journeys in their lives? And then, yes, what we come to offer to fulfill you know, the, the needs of the journey are going to be done in a better and better day every single day as we look for better journeys, better experiences for our customers. And then realigning the organizations to say, yes, you, of course, we have to have products that matter, products that work, products that are efficient, but just, just a mean to the end. The end is not the product itself. The end is the customer satisfaction, the customer engagement. So looking to technology, to digital, to data, to process, cutting across customer needs so then we can fulfill and they become fulfilling journeys on the dreams that they have. So that's what we are driving here in Itaú. You know, I think I think customer service is at kind of a, a low. As you look around the world and, and, and as different companies, different industries, people have lost that. So I think if you can drive that, that's a real differentiator and I hope people don't discount that like, well, of course, that makes sense, but how you go do that, right? And, you know, one of your gifts, Marina, doing my research about you and your leadership style is the ability to see patterns. Maybe it's part of that innovator, innovative anticipator, but, you know, you've shifted roles, you've shifted companies, you've shifted industries. Can you teach that? Is there, you know, how, how would you teach someone to see patterns, to, to be attuned to that? Yeah, how to build the, the muscles of identifying patterns and, and be able to leverage on that and, and find the transformation engine. And when I, when I stop and think back of my, my career uh, choices uh, in the past, th there are definitely things in common in the sense that I was always looking for roles where I could bring part of my knowledge, but I could also learn a lot. Um, that, then, you know, that didn't really matter if I was taking over a team of bigger size, bigger budget, bigger revenue in charge, uh, or even, you know, a title that sounds, you know, bigger or the same, but what is the impact that that role can have to the organization, to the people, to the society? I think that's something very important. Sometimes, you know, we think that growth is going up in, in titles and, and scope of management from things that are very measurable. I think the real impact not necessarily is that measurable. So put your eyes and sharp them up and partner with the people that are going to help you make a bigger impact than what you had before and how you're going to do that by understanding the unmet needs of customers, of people, of the organization itself, um, and be brave, uh, accepting those things that have a probably 50% component of still to be learned versus just applying the knowledge that you have that, by the way, you have, but it's never a plug and play. You always need to put yourself into the context so go, go there and learn, experience something different than what you've done before. Um, you're going to feel uncomfortable, but I can tell you it's a very, very comfortable, uncomfortable to feel. <laughs> well said, well said. And, you know, in the context of these pattern recognition abilities of yours, uh, we have a 
a great mystery question. I'd love to get your perspective on a, on a very timely topic. So listen on, on this one. On AI, people say it will change or destroy the world. What's your opinion on this? And what are you doing to maximize this potential in your organization? Also, what's his implications for the working generation today? Will it be all redundant? Oh, this is Chen and Derek. Oh, my favorite, oh, one of my favorite finance people in the world. I cannot say the favorite because I always partner very well with my CFOs. And you know, she, she's one of them, a very special one. Thank you. Thank you, Chen. And, uh, and if you were, would be working together today, probably would be discussing exactly the question that you, you bring forward. Um, what do we need to do in this world where AI is taking, you know, a very, very different uh, size and perspective in our lives, you know, personal lives and, and professional lives? Um, I think, uh, how, how do we prepare for that, right? So we need to learn to be editors because this machine will always need editors that can make it better and better and better. And um, so we need people that can do the before and the after the technology. And again, this technology is different than what we experienced before. But one thing that I'm really, really happy about uh, AI is that it's forcing, I think, a challenge that has been out there for 30 years, CIDO is struggling with, is that we need data quality because otherwise the thing is going to hallucinate if we don't have the right data to compose what we need, either, you know, reading or preparing a document or preparing a video or summarizing something or giving an answer or, you know, suggesting the next course of action. So I think this is a great opportunity for us to truly, truly address, you know, data foundation across organizations, because then this becomes really, really powerful. In early pilots that we are running here, you know, this is more than proven because we need this quality of input to get the best and excellent output. Poor input will be really, really poor output, you know, in a worse way than any other technology has um, experienced. And uh, the way we are approaching this is that, you know, we are training our people to ask questions. And we are also enhancing even more the belief that it's very, very important that we experiment, that we learn. Those things don't start and finish right. You learn as you process those technologies and you bring them into your environment. And then the skills that we need, they need to be, you know, safeguarded with really good guardrails that we are defining and we're going to continue to develop as we learn more about the technology and the platforms that are going to be building on it. So uh, let's invite people to learn to be editors. Let's invite people to finally find the love of working on, on data quality that we need. And this is going to do wonders, complementing human skills. Well, Shannon, great question. Uh, certainly not a softball question. That's not an easy territory to go into, but uh, obviously you are, you are, uh, waiting in that pool very much. And uh, you want to get first mover advantage, right? You don't want to be uh, running behind on that. So really good. And But we have three more mystery questions coming up, kind of back to back, that are going to really get to your the secret sauce of your leadership philosophy. And you know, as we go through these, I really want our audience to, uh, there's a thing called the no-do gap. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people hear these things and they know that, but I want to challenge you. Are you doing it? Are you doing it well? Are you doing it consistently? Because these these concepts we're going to talk about now are so, so important for leadership, especially today. So listen, listen into uh, the first of the next series of questions. Marina is a leader who is known for her ability to throw at least into her team, her fast decision-making skill, and her accurate understanding of any given scenario. 
With these qualities in mind, my question to Marina is, what are the key strategic drivers for the success of an operation department which interacts closely with a significant part of the company and prioritizes innovation, efficiency, and mostly customer satisfaction? Wow, that's Andrea Carpes, someone I had the pleasure and the blessing of you know, getting close to my life as I joined Itaú a few months ago. An amazing leader, absolutely you know, customer-obsessed with uh, energy level that is just infinite and, and helps the entire organization move forward. Thank you, Andrea. Um, yeah, how we prioritize. And I think, I think uh, you know, you, you, you said um, several things. And in the end, you said, you know, customer uh, obsession and customer proximity. And I think that's the number one of an operational team, right? So for customer first is not because you're in the back and the middle office that you see think customer later. So I think that's the, the first thing, you know, customers come first. Efficiency will come later, execution will come later, you know, controls are gonna come later. Customer has to come first and you decide on what is best for the customer. And from there, you're gonna derive, you know, uh, more fluid experiences that as a consequence, you know, should be lower risk as a consequence should be lower cost. But that's what you start from, experience first. Um, and uh, yes, you need innovation and efficiency, but they come as means to an end. They don't come as an objective. And uh, um, I have someone that worked with me, uh, you know, a, a few years back, and you would say, maybe, you know, this pen here is innovation just because what I'm writing different with it. Doesn't need to be something really, really new, but learning through the, your surroundings, what a, a new way of applying some knowledge, some experience, some tooling that you have, so then you're gonna make the experience for the customer uh, better. Customer first, I'm relearning that with you, Andrea, thank you. Andrea, thank you so much. The two of you are going and your team are going to do amazing work together. Can't wait to follow it. And, and uh, I, love, I love your perspective around innovation efficiency being a means to the end, right? It's not the thing. And so, so well, well put. Listen to this next one. Uh, really gets to some of the secret sauce around your unique leadership style and ability. So let's listen in. Marina. You've always led very big teams and global teams with people scattered all over the world. How do you drive engagement and results in such a complex setup? Oh, Marian Amsons. I think the, the best communications leader I've ever met in my life used to lead global communications in a VMBF. We partnered together a lot and the transformation or the creation of um, uh, API. How did we lead that, Marianne? I, th I think from the heart is the first thing that comes to, to my mind. You need to lead from the heart, uh, you know, and there is no predefined formula. There is no Marina way of, of leading it. There is a way of leading that change that you are in front of, those groups of people, those groups of customers and consumers that are, and the partners that are uh, with you with this, Outreason come first. You have to believe that, you know, making others feel better, it's going to come back to you. This is not about an individual. This is about every single individual in the organization feeling that this is going to be better for them. So having led big teams, I don't know how many times I've done the exercise with many people in the organization saying, do you know how do you make a difference in this big thing that we are trying to do? So hand-holding people, because sometimes we are just, you know, developing a new piece of code. It's just a new piece of code for, I don't know what, or it's just processing this in the back office, or it's just getting the data. It's not just, 
is something really, really important, part of something bigger that we all together are trying to do. So lead from the heart, make people find where they are making a difference in that transformation. If they are not, then question if they really should be doing that. But I never found that case. You know, it was just the opposite on people that feel like that part of the organization they are in is not necessarily the center of the hurricane of the chain. So then they are less important. Guess what? That's not true. But you need to help people see that so that they're going to be at their best. They're going to perform great. They're going to do great. And then your organization is better as a consequence. Yeah, I mean, it gives people that purpose, that reason to uh, to really dig in and show up. And I think it impacts burnout today. I think if you're tied to the impact, you're certainly much more much more engaged. Uh, when you talk about big teams, can you give us an idea? I mean, like a- ABI, I mean, what was the BAT, the organizations you led? You've led some major organizations. Yeah, organizations of thousands and thousands of people from the organization I was leading, from the partners I was working with. Um, and yes, but in the end, each person is a person, right? You're not managing a team. You're managing many different people. And I think that's a thought that a leader always has to have in mind. Mm, very good. Well, Marianne, thank you. And what a great compliment for Marina to be the uh, the best communications person out there. That's, that's incredible. Um, one more mystery question for you. I think this one, Again, someone very special from your your journey, and uh, he's going to ask you about uh, what I call the Great Balancing Act. So listen in, and uh, we'll have some fun with this one. Hi, Marina. What I would like to ask you is, how do you think that being a so a successful and result-driven leader, how have you been able to balance this result-driven performance together with the management of the resources that you take for getting those results, especially the human resources pieces of that equation. How have you been able to make it together and be so successful in your career during this time? Mm, Ricardo, Ricardo, this was my first boss when I joined PwC and a friend for life. So thank you, Ricardo. Uh, and uh, yeah, what do we do with the resources we have? You know, people and 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 money. It's it's never taking anything for granted. I think it's something I always have in my in my hands. Treat everything as special as everything is with care. Uh, and this is about people and business. So it's not just one or the other. Uh, and when I mean people, it's not just people in my team, people in my organization, partners, uh, you know, from, from other organizations make it happen. And also partners in my personal life that are helping me, you know, get through everything that we have, you know, on, on, on our, our daily life. So I think um, this, this balancing act is, is, is about caring. Um, and you treat everything as that would be, you know, your your last final decision is the most important thing that you have. Uh, don't, don't take it lightly. Uh, that doesn't mean suffering. Quite the, the opposite. I have fun <laughs> and I'm happy when I'm working. Uh, but it's just the sense of responsibility that you can not walk away from. It's, it's just, uh, uh, it, I think it makes you, you know, always think the best thing you can. Doesn't mean you don't make mistakes, but you make the best you can in every single situation. I can't imagine the the team that Ricardo had back then, your first boss at PwC. He's gone on to become uh, CEO of NTT Data. I mean, just a big, big job there. And 
Latin America, you've gone to uh, uh, be the COO of Bank Itao. It's just, can't imagine, you know, being on that team back then, those those years ago. But Ricardo, thank you for that question. You know, you know Marina so well, big fan of hers. You talked earlier, Marina, about um, leading from the heart. And it's interesting you say that because people have heard me talk about this, but I've seen a real um, intentional shift in leadership these days by the best leaders. And I, I call it leading with heart, with heart being an acronym that stands for leading with humility, with empathy, with adaptability, resiliency, and transparency, right? And those leaders have that care that you talked about, that compassion. At the same time, back to the balancing act you just talked about, still be able to hold people accountable, still be able to have hard conversations and really needing to, I mean, we get paid, we get paid well to deliver results, right? And that balancing act, right? If we focus, you know, there was a time in, in leadership where we focused so much on results, we would say, oh, there's a bunch of dead bodies behind us, but that was the cost of results, right? Um, uh, but so too much focus there, we have impact on people. Too much impact on part, we don't get the results done while well, you lose your job, right? Because you get paid to deliver results. Does that, does that resonate with you? <laughs> yeah. First and foremost, take care of yourself, right? As a, as a healthy person, sleep well, eat well, uh, spend time with your kids, your family, your friends. Uh, I, I do my exercise, I run, travel. I love to read. I love to watch movies. I don't have much, you know, to watch TV. It doesn't matter. You know, find those things that energize you besides work because work energizes me too. Um, but but this, this, this concept of, you know, you need to be healthy physically and mentally to be able to do your work. You're absolutely right. It's not something that, you know, we cared about 20 something years ago, quite the opposite, right? It was work, work, work. And like, what is that? You know, I, I still work a lot, um, but but there's a sense of care that I think we have to have first to ourselves as leaders. People are watching us all the time. So you need to lead by example. And then of course you do what you can to care, you know, specifically for, 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 for the others, but you need to lead by example. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to actually go there because these jobs are exhausting, right? They do they do draw the batteries down, and so uh, you gave us a little glimpse into how you how you recharge your batteries and take us inside the personal world of, of Marina. What do you what do you like to do when you're uh, with your family? And just to uh, I know they're a great source of uh, of joy and and energizing for you and two amazing daughters. Uh, take us inside the life of Marina. Yeah, I love to spend time with my daughters. Uh, nowadays, as teenagers, not always they want to spend time with me, but they know I'm around. They need me. I'm there. Can be homework. Sometimes they don't believe one day in my life I studied math because I'm not sure I can help that often in their math uh, homework. But yeah, just doing something, you know, cooking a meal together, going to the movies, welcoming their friends in our uh, houses, traveling somewhere. So definitely being with my daughters um, is, is, is a huge source of energy for me. Family and friends know different. Um, my, my alone moment and very, you know, a uh, love moment is when I go out for a run. Sometimes it's 20 minutes, sometimes in an hour and a half. It depends on how much I can fit uh, in my day. Um, but I don't need, you know, uh, 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 much, you know, good, good music. And um, yeah, and, uh, and uh, I, I, I recharge. I have more time than I, I go and travel to places in the world. Uh, either, you know, uh, visiting the people I was lucky enough to become friends with, with having lived in different places or, or just exploring new places. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, great to you know, great to learn the the about the the people, right? And at the end of the day, we're we're all people, and you know, we have life, we have challenges, we have joy, we have all these things. So thank you for taking the time on that. And then every time I answer these questions, like, oh, but there's also this that I like. There's also this that I like. So I never yeah. give my full list because I love, you know, cooking Italian cuisine and I love reading. So I could talk about things that I like and I do. And don't ask me how I find time for that. Or do ask me how I find time for that. You make time for the things that you like. Um, but my, my list is probably bigger than I'm always able to cover when people ask me that. Life is full, right? And that's, uh, you have it no other way. It makes you a complete person. And you know, we uh, we do this really cool thing here with our scholarship program. We call it Tech for Good. Marina, you're familiar with it, and we're just so we feel so blessed to be able to do this. We we donate $150,000 a year in scholarships to our nine month leadership development program called Tech LX. And today, you get the ability to gift a seat in that program to a nonprofit organization that you're involved in. So, would love to give you that ability. If somebody come to mind, you'd like to uh, to gift that to. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And, and of course, I have to go for T200, you know, uh, the next women in tech that we can help develop. I, I, I heard wonders about your program. So uh, T200 would be blessed to have one of our members benefit from that. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you to you and your team. Such a joy. Thank you. I am so pleased. Uh, second time that the T200 has been awarded because it's just the great work that you're all doing there. So we'll definitely Make sure we put the link uh, up in the show notes and the LinkedIn post and big shout out to your team. You just had a big uh, in-person event with the T200. It was just a lot of energy coming out of that. And that was really, really awesome. Give it the good work there. We're, we're good good friends at T200. Well, we're, um, we're kind of winding it down, Marina. Uh, you know, the good news is uh, we're going to continue to chat here and you and I are going to work on a blog post that'll come out next week on CI.com. And... Uh, I specifically protected the Marina-isms that I love. There's there's a half dozen, a handful, a half dozen of them that we'll unpack in that blog. So make sure people read that next week. But thank you so much for, for joining us. You're moving, you're taking on these new big roles. And uh, just to share yourself with us, to share your, uh, uh, your, your leadership philosophies, the way you see the world, which is very unique. Uh, but I just can't tell you how much we we appreciate you and, and making the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Angela in the U.S., Jenan uh, in the U.K., Carlos in Mexico, Ricardo Andrea in Brazil, Marianne in Belgium, my friends from all over the world for, for participating. Thank you for the opportunity, Dan. Really happy to be here. Outstanding. Well, you be well. Good luck. And uh, we'll see you all at the next uh, podcast. Stay well. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolet and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.